اعوذ باللہ من الشیطان الرجیم بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم لسن نمبر 68 سورة المائدة آیا نمبر 125 سورة المائدة This surah is also known as سورة الحلال والحرام What does that mean? The surah that tells you about what is permissible and what is forbidden Why do you think this surah is called الحلال والحرام? Why do you think so? Because there are rulings concerning what is halal and what is haram. Now when we think of halal, haram, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Food. Which food can you eat and which food can you not eat? And this surah is a madni surah, which means that it was revealed after the hijrah of the Prophet ﷺ. And it is said that it is the last of what was revealed of the Qur'an. The last of what was revealed of the Qur'an. Meaning the last verse that was revealed to the Prophet ﷺ is in this surah. And this is why the scholars, they said that مَا كَانَ فِيهَا مِنْ حَلَالٍ فَأَحِلُّوهُ Whatever you find halal mentioned in this surah, then consider it to be halal. وَمَا كَانَ فِيهَا مِنْ حَرَامٍ فَحَرِّمُوهُ And whatever you find in it that is mentioned as haram, then consider it to be haram. Why? Because this was the last of what was revealed of the Qur'an. So this means that nothing that is mentioned in this surah is abrogated. It is final. All of the ahkam of the surah are muhkam. And they have to be followed. Nothing of it is abrogated. And most of the surah was revealed in the city of Medina. But a part of it was revealed in Makkah as well. When? When the Prophet ﷺ went for Hajjatul Wada' the farewell pilgrimage. So that is when some verses of the surah were also revealed. We learn in a hadith that Jubair bin Nufayr, he said, I performed Hajj once. And I visited Aisha radiallahu anha. And she said to me, O Jubair, do you read Surah Al-Ma'idah? She asked him, do you read Surah Al-Ma'idah? Why do you think she would ask him? Out of all the surahs, she asks him, do you read Surah Al-Ma'idah? Because it is relevant to him. So she asked him, do you read Surah Al-Ma'idah? And he said, I answered yes. She said, it was the last surah to be revealed. Therefore, whatever permissible matters you find in it, then consider them permissible. And whatever impermissible matters you find in it, then consider them impermissible. So she emphasized the importance of knowing this surah. How important it is to have the knowledge of the ahkam that are mentioned in this surah. This is why you will notice that as we will study the tafsir of the surah, it will be more academic. Because there is no way to know the surah except study it in a very academic style. So there will be lots of things for you to understand, lots of things for you to memorize, lots of rules, lots of laws, lots of technical things. I'm not trying to scare you, but I'm trying to prepare you that it's a little technical. Why? Because it deals with food. And when it comes to food, you have to know what is permissible and what is not. And some scholars, they even call this surah, surah al-rijal. The surah for men. Why? Because the men have to know what is halal and what is haram. They're the ones who are slaughtering the animals. They're the ones who are purchasing the meat. 
So they have to know what is allowed, what is not allowed, because otherwise they'll be feeding their families food that is not halal. Now, what's the name of the surah? Al-Ma'idah. What does Ma'idah mean? Table spread of food. So this is exactly what the surah brings to us. A table spread of food. It tells you what are your options, what you can eat. It's not one meal, but it's a table spread of food. Because generally when we think of halal, haram, we think everything is haram except for this and this and this and this. But we are shown what is halal with a completely different perspective. That it's like a table spread of food. You have so many options. Look at all the blessings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you. At the end of the previous surah, Surah An-Nisa, we learned that because of the sins of Bani Israel, what happened? Good things were made unlawful for them. And in this surah, we see how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, with His mercy, He allowed so many good things, all good things for the believers. And the only things that He has forbidden for us are those which are inherently bad for us. So let's begin the surah. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم يا أيها الذين آمنوا O you who have believed O believers This means that pay attention Listen attentively This is part of your being a believer If you are a believer you have to observe this Your iman demands this from you What does it demand from you? That awfu Fulfill What should you fulfill? Bil'uqood all contracts, all promises, all commitments. The word awfu is from wafa, ya, and wafa is to fulfill. And the word uqud is a plural of aqd, ayn, qaf, dal. What does aqd literally mean? Aqada. Aqada. To tie a knot. To fasten it. It is to tie something strongly and firmly. And it's the opposite of hil. Hil is to untie. Aqd is to tie a knot. And aqt basically refers to every matter that is related to mu'amalat. What is mu'amalat? Dealings with people. What are the different ways in which we deal with people? For example, marriage. Likewise, a financial contract. These are what? Mu'amalat. So every matter related to mu'amalat, which a person promises, promises, who? Another individual. Okay? And he intends firmly to fulfill it, to complete it. So there's a number of things about aqt. First of all, it's a promise. A person promises that he will complete it. He will fulfill it. He will do it. Secondly, it is with another individual or another party. And thirdly, it has to do with mu'amalat, dealings with people. So all social contracts, all social contracts, whether it is marriage or it is business or whatever, any social contract, whether it is between a citizen and the government, any contract, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, awfu, fulfill. So fulfill all contracts, those that you have made with Allah and those that you have made with the people. What is the contract with Allah? That we believe in Him. We obey Him. We obey His laws concerning what is halal, what is haram. And what are the contracts with people? All lawful contracts and agreements. Whether they are explicit or implied. Whether they are verbal or they are written. Because some contracts are 
verbal and other contracts are recorded in writing likewise some contracts are immediate and other contracts are long term immediate as in you complete it you deal with it you finish it immediately just a few moments or just a few days but there's some that are long term for example marriage is a contract which when a person makes he doesn't intend to be married to the individual for only 2 days or 5 days no it's a long term commitment a person when they get married they intend to be married to the other for their life that's the intention because a person should not get married with the intention of divorcing the woman when this will happen then i'll divorce her i'll just keep her until this time and then i will divorce her no this is not marriage so awfu bil uqud and contracts with people whether they are financial personal political at individual level or a public level whatever contract that you're making what does allah say awfu fulfill it why because the only thing that befits a believer is that when he makes a contract then he fulfills it when he makes a contract when he makes a commitment then what does he do he fulfills it he doesn't just disappear he doesn't leave halfway through he doesn't not show up no he takes his contract very seriously he fulfills all the conditions all the terms and he completes it this is what befits a believer and if a believer does not fulfill a contract then what does that signify what does that indicate the weakness of his iman because what befits a believer to complete the contract if he doesn't do that then it means that there's something missing in the iman so ya ayyuhalladhina amanu awfu bil uqud what did we learn earlier that it is a sign of the fasiqin that they break the covenants alladhina yanquduna ahd allahi min ba'di mithaqihi so it doesn't befit a believer to do that now tell me what are some of the contracts some of the commitments that we make that we make any contract that you've made with anybody okay nikah all right what else yes so for example if you sign up for a course right you register yourself for a course for a program then you are making a contract there is an admissions form you write everything you write all the answers remember what you filled maybe a few months ago or maybe a year and a half ago some of you so what is that it's a contract in a way you put your signature over there and there was a stamp that was put on that piece of paper what are some other examples of contracts let's think outside of alhuda so when you put a check mark on something that says i agree to all the terms and conditions then what is that a contract then you cannot go and jailbreak it you cannot go and hack it the different wrong ways that people adopt to download things which are not legal whether it's legal software or illegally downloading movies or whatever what are some other examples of contracts employment contract that you say that you've accepted the offer and you are going to work there so that means that you fulfill all the terms and conditions whatever is expected of you you do it you show up on time you do your work and then you fulfill all your obligations as well what else that when you are renting a property somebody's house an apartment then again there is a contract but what do some people do they just disappear they just leave 
without having paid any of the bills. For example, if you're taking an oath of citizenship, I'm not talking about whether it's halal or haram, I'm just talking about it being a contract. So if you take that, then what does it mean? That you have to abide by the laws of the country. So, awfu bil fulfill all the contracts. And basically fulfilling the contract, what does that teach us? That obey what you have to obey. That once you've committed to something and there are certain obligations that fall on you, then you have to fulfill them. So likewise, when you've committed to being a believer, then there are certain things that Allah is going to command you with. Then what does it mean? That you have to follow them. You have to observe them. You have to fulfill all of them. First and foremost thing is what? أُحِلَّتْ لَكُمْ بَهِيمَةُ الْأَنْعَامِ Lawful for you are the animals of grazing livestock. أُحِلَّتْ أُحِلَّتْ is from halal. أُحِلَّتْ means it has been made halal. لَكُمْ for you. Meaning for you, O believers, something has been made halal. What is that? Bahima. Bahimatul an'am. Animals of grazing livestock. The word bahima is from the root letters ba, ha, meem. And bahima is used for ismun likulli di arba. It is used for every four legged creature. Can you name a few? Cow, cat, camel, dog, wolf, lion, sheep, goat. This is what? Bahima. But. What is mentioned over here? Which behema are permissible for you? Those that are al-an'am. Those that are from the grazing livestock. Al-an'am is a plural of na'am. And na'am literally is used for a camel. But then it's applied to all the animals from the grazing livestock. Whether it's sheep, cattle, goat. Okay? And why is this word used for grazing livestock? It's from the word nirm. The word nirma is also from the same root. What does nirma mean? Benefit, ease. So basically, an'am are those animals which are domesticated, which are kept and raised. Why? For the benefit, for the ease of food, for profit, ease of traveling. And these animals, they live in herds. So for example, sheep in herds, cows, goats, camels, all of them, they live in herds. So which ones are they? Al-an'am are which ones? They are domesticated animals, kept for the ease, for the benefit of food, of profit, of travel, and they live in herds. And an'am, remember, they're not just domesticated animals. Some scholars have said that this is a large category which includes all animals which are similar to such domesticated animals. So for example, even deer. They're not domesticated animals. However, they're very similar to sheep or you can say goats. Likewise, bison, antelope, mountain cow, all such animals are also permissible. Whether they are domesticated or they are from the wild. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that, أُحِلَّتْ لَكُمْ بَهِيمَةُ الْأَنْعَامِ All such animals are halal for you, meaning their akl, their eating, their consumption is permissible for you. إِلَّا except meaning from these animals, there are some that are مَا يُتْلَى عَلَيْكُمْ which are recited on you. 
meaning that you have been informed of in other verses you have been informed that they are not halal so what's the ayah saying that all animals from the grazing livestock you are allowed to eat except for those which you have been informed of in other places of the Quran that you are not allowed to eat which ones are they we have learned for example in surah al-baqarah ayah 173 innama harrama alaykum al-maytah wad-dama wa lahm al-khinzir wa ma uhilla bihi li ghayrillah that if an animal dies for example a cow dies it's not slaughtered properly it dies then you can't eat it likewise if there is a goat that is sacrificed for other than allah you can't eat it likewise lahm al khinzir a pig even though it may be domesticated even though it may be four legged even though it may be considered livestock by many people but it's not halal that's an exception likewise in surah al an'am ayah 145 we learn that Nothing is haram except for maytah aw damam masfuhan aw lahma khinzirin fa innahu rijs aw fisq uhilla li ghayri llahi bih same thing has been mentioned in surah al-an'am ayah 121 don't eat of that on which allah's name has not been pronounced so if there's a camel it was slaughtered allah's name was not mentioned it is not halal so there are some exceptions from the grazing livestock which are not halal which we have learned in other places and which we will learn again in the verses that will come so uhillat lakum bahimatul an'ami illa ma yutla alaykum and then allah says ghayra muhilli sayda ghayra what does ghayra mean not other than muhilli is actually muhillina the noon has been dropped so basically muhilli is plural of make the singular what's the singular muhil everybody say it muhil what's the root halam lam muhil this mim what does this tell you that it's a person just like muhsin mu'min okay that mim indicates that it's a person munafiq okay so over here we see muhil who is muhil muhil is one who makes halal one who makes permissible one who allows asaid asaid is animal which is hunted so what is that game not a computer game the game as an animal that is hunted so for example if a deer is being hunted what is the deer said can you say the word said okay So muhill as-sayda what does it mean allowing the game allowing the game allowing the hunt meaning one's hunting basically what this means is those who go hunting those who hunt animals but allah says over here ghayra muhill as-sayda you cannot hunt the animals when wa antum hurum while you are hurum What does haram mean? Haram is a plural of haram, meaning while you are haram. What does that mean? That means while you are in the state of ihram, when you're going for hajj, when you're going for umrah, you are in the state of ihram and certain things which are halal for you otherwise become haram on you. For example, it's highly encouraged for you to trim your nails, to keep yourself clean, like trim your nails. but in the state of ihram can you trim your nails no you cannot it's haram 
for the person in the state of ihram to trim his nails. Likewise, if a person is hungry, they see some animal which is halal to eat, and they have the chance to hunt it. Should they go hunt it with the name of Allah and eat of it? Yes, they do. However, in the state of ihram, can they do it? Absolutely not. So Allah says, all these animals are halal for you, however, you cannot hunt them. Okay? غَيْرَ وَأَنْتُمْ حُرُمُ While you are in the state of ihram. Why? Why is it forbidden in that state? Because when a person is wearing ihram, what is his focus? Worship of Allah. And if he starts hunting, that could take a couple of hours. It could even take days. And once you start hunting, it's like when you go fishing, you catch one fish. And then you're like, I want to catch another one. And then you're like, I want to catch another one. And then you completely lose focus of what you went to do. So, غَيْرَ مُحِلِّ الصَّيْدَ وَأَنْتُمْ حُرُمُ You cannot go hunting while you are in the state of ihram. And this shows to us about the importance or the etiquette that this garb requires of a person. It's like uniform, right? So it requires some etiquette that we have to observe. And of that is that you can't go hunting. It's not just a dress, but it's something that requires from you certain manners and etiquettes. So, غَيْرَ مُحِلِّ الصَّيْدَ وَأَنْتُمْ حُرُمُ Allah says, إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَحْكُمُ مَا يُرِيدُ Indeed, Allah commands whatever He wills. Whatever He wants. What about our want? What about our will? How come the matter of halal and haram has not been left to our desires, our wishes? Wouldn't it be so much easier? Whatever you feel like eating, just pick it up. You know, sometimes you go to a grocery store and you're like, people are just picking up whatever they want. And here you are, checking what is halal, what is haram, what are the ingredients, skipping a few aisles completely. There's a store that has opened here, I'm sure you have heard about it. And there's really good meat there. There's a section which is halal, and a huge section which is haram meat. So when you go there to pick up the halal meat, you're like, I wonder what's there. I wonder what they have what other options they have. And they must have a lot, because obviously it's so big. So why is it that Allah has not left the matter of food and drink to our desires? Rather, He has taken full authority over it, and He says, إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَحْكُمُ مَا يُرِيدُ He commands whatever He wills. Why? Because we have no control over our desires. If it was left to us, then we would eat anything and everything then we would eat mice, and we would eat dogs, and we would eat monkeys, and we would eat pigs, even though they can consume the most nasty things that are not even worth mentioning. Then we can eat animals that are killed in the most brutal way. Then we would be worse than lions and cheetahs. So Allah commands whatever He wills. When it comes to food, He has not left it to us. Rather, He has made us different from animals. An animal eats whatever it pleases. It doesn't care. But we are human beings. We are supposed to be more dignified. We are supposed to look at what we're eating. He is the creator and He knows us more than we know ourselves. He knows what our body needs more than what we know. He knows what harms our body more than we could ever know. So, إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَحْكُمُ مَا يُرِيدُ Everything belongs to Him as well. All the animals belong to Him because He's the one who made them. So He has decided what He has allowed for us to eat and what He has not allowed for us to eat. أَلَا لَهُ الْخَلْقُ وَالْأَمْرِ 
Unquestionably, his is the creation and the command. So when he has created, it's his command that will be observed. And he has the right to tell us how to deal with the animals. What is halal? What is haram? Then Allah says, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا O you who have believed, لَا تُحِلُّوا Do not make halal. What does it mean? That if there's something that Allah has made haram, don't go on making that halal. Now remember that the word ihlal is used in a different way as well. Not just in making something permissible, but also to violate the sanctity of something. To disrespect something. To cross the limits that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has set concerning something. Why is this word used? Because it's as though Allah has made it haram and we're making it halal for ourselves. Whereas only Allah has the right to decide what is halal and haram. So he says, لَا تُحِلُّ Meaning do not violate. Do not violate what? شَعَائِرَ اللَّهِ The شَعَائِر of Allah. Also do not violate the sanctity of وَلَا الشَّهْرَ الْحَرَامِ And nor the sacred months. Thirdly, وَلَا الْهَدِيَ And nor the hadi. What is hadi? The sacrificial animal. وَلَا الْقَلَائِدِ And nor the قَلَائِد. What are قَلَائِد? Garlanded animals. وَلَا آمِينَ الْبَيْدِ And nor those coming to the sacred house. So there's a number of things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned over here. Five basically. And He tells us, do not violate their sanctity. What does it mean by that? That your iman demands from you that you respect all of these things, these times, these rituals, these practices, these actions. Because certain times require certain behavior from us. Certain places require certain behavior. There is an expected Conduct. There is an expected way of clothing when you are in a certain place in a certain time. For example, recently somebody told me that in Dubai, in all the malls at the stores, you know, there's a big sign that your shoulders have to be covered and your clothes can't be above your knees. Why? Respect the cultural norms. So tourists, visitors, whoever it is, they have to cover their shoulders, they have to wear those clothes. Because certain places require certain dress code. Likewise, you go to a certain place and there's a big sign outside, no shorts allowed. I remember I went to this restaurant to eat and men could only come there in a suit and tie. So my brother, he showed up in his normal clothes and he wasn't allowed inside. Him and his cousins, they were hanging outside because they couldn't go in. They weren't allowed to go inside. Because if you go in, you have to be dressed properly. Likewise, certain places you have these signs up, you have to have a shirt on. Why? Because certain places, certain times, demand certain dress code, certain respect. So likewise, in our deen as well, there are places which require us to be extra careful and extra respectful. Likewise, there are certain times of the year when we are expected to be more conscious, more alert. Likewise, there are certain rituals to which we have to show extra respect. So your iman demands this from you. That don't violate the sanctity of first of all sha'airillah. What is sha'airillah? Sha'air is a plural of sha'ira. From the root letter sheen, ayn, ra. And shu'ur. What does shu'ur mean? La yash'urun. To be aware. To perceive. So sha'air, sha'ira are basically 
signposts, symbols. If there is a symbol, if there is a particular sign, then what does it do? It symbolizes certain things. For example, if you're driving and then you see a big yellow M, a big yellow M, that's a symbol of what? McDonald's, right? I'm not saying go eat there. I'm just asking you a question. So there's no harm in responding. Okay. So this is what sharira is. An object or an action, a place that signifies, that reminds you of something. Sha'irillah. Those things, times, places that remind you of who? Sha'irillah. They remind you of Allah. Why? Because Allah has chosen those places. He has chosen those times. He has given those certain rituals, those commands for us to observe. So Sha'irillah, they are, for example, A'malul Hajj, the rites of Hajj, Tawaf, going to Mina. Likewise, there are also the Maqamat of Hajj. Okay? The places where Hajj rituals are performed. Whether it is Muzdalifah or Arafah or Baytul Haram. So it's not just rituals, but it's also the places. And not just related to Hajj, but also otherwise. For example, a hijab. Is this of the sha'ir? Of course. Because this is an object that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has commanded the Muslim women to wear. And when you see that, it reminds you of who? Allah. Because He legislated it. Likewise, a man's beard. Is that sha'ir of Allah? Yes. Adhan, iqama, salah. Is that the sha'ir of Allah? Yes. Likewise, a masjid. The month of Ramadan. All of these are what? Sha'ir of Allah. So basically, sha'ir are what? The tangible aspects of the deen. Whether it's physical or time-related, it's tangible aspects of the deen. So Allah says, لا تحلو Don't violate their sanctity. Meaning, when you're observing them, observe them properly. When you're at these places, then respect them. Do not disrespect them. What is disrespect of such places? For example, masjid. What is disrespect of the masjid? What is violating the sanctity of the masjid? Making it dirty. Writing something on the wall. This is what? Disrespecting the sanctity of the masjid. Likewise, the haram. What is the proper etiquette over there? Again, that when you go there, don't engage in useless things. Don't start just sitting there watching people as they go and not worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at all, wasting zamzam, praying in a place where you're making so much difficulty for the people who have come to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala over there. So, لَا تُحِلُّوا شَعَائِرَ اللَّهِ Observe them properly when you are there. Then, respect those places. Do not commit sin over there. In the Qur'an we learn, وَمَن يُعَظِّمْ شَعَائِرَ اللَّهِ Whoever honors the symbols of Allah, فَإِنَّهَا مِن تَقْوَى الْقُلُوبِ It is from the taqwa of the hearts. Then that shows that the person has taqwa. If a person respects the shaair of Allah, then that proves that he has taqwa. He gives importance to them. He observes them properly. Secondly, شَهْرَ الْحَرَامِ Do not violate their sanctity. What does it mean by that? The sacred months. Which are the sacred months for? Dhul Qa'da, Dhul Hijjah, Muharram and Rajab. So these four months do not violate their sanctity. How? 
by sinning in them, by fighting in them. Thirdly, hadi. What is hadi? Hadi is from the root letters. What's the root? Hadal, yeah. Any other word from the same root? Hidayah, guidance. Hadi is basically sacrificial animal. When you go for hajj, you also have to sacrifice an animal. Now these days, has anyone been for hajj by the way? Okay. What did you do when you had to sacrifice the animal? You went to an office and you paid money over there. Or your agent asked you, your group leader, whoever asked you, that which animal, how much money, and then you gave them the money and they gave you a receipt that such and such animal will be sacrificed for you on your behalf on this date, at this time, between this hour and this hour. So these days, it's very easy. You don't even get to see the animal. Back then what would happen was that when people would go for hajj, they would take their animal along with them. So for example, if they wanted to sacrifice three camels, they would take it with them. If they wanted to sacrifice five goats, they would take those goats with them. So alhamdulillah, for all the systems that have been placed these days, that our hajj has been made so efficient and so easy. Because imagine trying to take goats and sheep on your aircraft. Perhaps you would never be able to do hajj because they wouldn't allow you to take animals there. Anyway, so this is what hadi is. Sacrificial animal that is taken. Yuhda, it is guided to. It is taken to the haram. Why? To be slaughtered over there. Okay, it is taken, guided from your house, wherever you bought it from, to the haram in order to be slaughtered. So Allah says, don't disrespect these animals. What's the disrespect concerning them? That, for example, abusing the animal, thinking that, oh, it's going to be slaughtered anyway, so might as well load it with something, might as well sit on it, might as well abuse it, let me take my anger on it. No, this is not right. Don't violate their sanctity. They are special animals who are going to be slaughtered for the sake of Allah. So you better show respect to them. And also, that when they are being taken for sacrifice, then they should be sacrificed at the right time, in the right manner, at the right place. Then, qala'id. Qala'id is the plural of qilada. What's the root? Qaf, lam, dal. And qilada is basically a strap or a rope that is put around the neck of the animal. I'm not talking about the strap that you have on which you put a leash. No. It's a bigger strap that looks more like a necklace, like a garland. Probably you've never seen it. Unless you've seen Eid in some Muslim country. Then you may have seen something like this, that they put a garland around the animal's neck. Sometimes it's very colorful. Sometimes it may have certain things on it. And it's made of different materials. Why was the strap put? To mark the animal. That this animal is going to be sacrificed at Hajj. So, for example, if a group of people was traveling. Have you seen the video Ibn Battuta? Have you seen the movie? So what happened when he went for Hajj? Did he get robbed? Did he get robbed? Yeah. Remember so many times there were robbers who were after the Hujjaj? So this was something that was very common from pre-Islamic times too until very recently even. That when the people would go for hajj, their lives would be in danger. But what would happen is that if people would see 
that oh, there are three animals with them which have garlands around their necks. Then they would say, these people are going for hajj, don't bother them. So they would respect the people going for hajj. So qala'id, they would put around the animal in order to mark the animal. So Allah says, do not disrespect these animals in the sense that do not disrespect the people of these animals. In other words, respect their safety, respect their security, make sure that they are safe and secure, and they're able to go for hajj easily. Then, very clearly Allah says, وَلَا آمِينَ الْبَيْتَ الْحَرَامِ And do not even violate the sanctity of who? Amin. What does Amin mean? When I say Amin, what comes to your mind? غَيْرِ الْمَغْضُوبِ عَلَيْهِمْ وَالضَّالِّينَ Amin. Yeah? That is Amin. Meme with no shadda on it. This is Amin. And Amin is the plural of? It is the plural of? Am. Amun is from the root letters Hamza, Meme, Meme. Amma ya ummu means to intend. Imam is from the same root. Because Imam, you intend to follow him. Amma ya'umu is to intend to direct one's steps towards a place, to go towards a destination. So am mean are who? Those who are headed to a certain place. Those who have intended to go to a particular place. Which place? Allah says, am mean al-bayt al-haram. Those who are headed to the sacred mosque. Meaning those who are headed to Mecca, the Kaaba. Al-Haram. Why would a person go there? To perform ibadah, for hajj, for umrah. So Allah says, all those people who are going for hajj, who are going for umrah, who want to worship Allah at the sacred mosque, do not violate their safety. Rather, treat them well. Ensure their security and well-being. Why? Because they are the guests of Allah. They are people who have undertaken this difficult journey. Why? Yabtaguna. In order to seek fadlam mir rabbihim. The bounty of their Lord. Walidwana. And pleasure. The only reason why they're taking this difficult journey is because they want to earn the pleasure of Allah. They want to seek some benefits. Whether they are worldly or related to the akhirah. So when a person has gone out in the way of Allah, then respect them. Ensure their well-being. Don't treat them in a bad way. But unfortunately we see that people who go for Hajj and Umrah, sometimes they get cheated so badly. That for example, they go to Jeddah, they land there, and they want to go to Makkah, they take a cab, and then they have to pay so much money. Just because they have come from Canada, or they've come from the States, people think that they are full of money. So they'll charge them double, triple the amount. Likewise food. Likewise somebody is doing tawaf. And somebody comes and takes their wallet out. Somebody comes and takes their phone. A woman may be doing tawaf with her purse or she may be praying and her bag is sitting right in front of her and somebody comes and takes the purse. This is what? Disrespecting. Who? Those who have gone to worship Allah. And this is the reason why, remember, theft committed in the haram. Any sin that is committed in the haram is far more serious compared to theft and sin committed anywhere else. The sin becomes more serious, more grave. 
And also because it's committed against who? Those who have come to worship Allah. So, وَلَا آمِينَ الْبَيْتِ الْحَرَامَ يَبْتَغُونَ فَضْلًا مِنْ رَبِّهِمْ وَرِضْوَانًا What lesson do we learn from this for ourselves? What lesson do you learn for yourself from this? That if anyone is gone, is on the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the only reason why he leaves his house is to worship Allah, then what does it mean? That we should be extra nice with them. We should respect what they're doing. We should cooperate with them. We should not hurt them, harm them in any way. So for example, you go to the masjid to pray taraweeh, and you're trying to park, and then you end up hitting somebody's car. And you say, whatever. What's the big deal? It may not be a big deal for you, because your car may be like that, but it may be a big deal for other people. So if something like this has happened, what does it mean? You just walk away? No, you don't walk away. You wait for that person to come. You leave a note for them. Once we went to a masjid, it was a big masjid, and I believe there was some event, I don't remember exactly what was going on, but we came, as we were getting into the car, there was this man who came and he said, does this car belong to you? And we said, yeah. They said, I'm really sorry, we kind of bumped into your car, and we scratched it from here. And he was leaving his phone number and all the details by the car, so that we would know what happened. And that was something so responsible that he did. Because the thing is that if a person walks away, okay, he may never be caught. But who knows? Allah knows, right? Hitting somebody's car, yes, it's a big deal. But hitting somebody's car who's in the way of Allah is worse. Is worse. Taking somebody's shoes outside somebody's house where there's a party going on, that is bad. But taking somebody's shoes from the masjid is much, much worse. Believe me. Leaving a public washroom dirty is bad. But leaving a masjid washroom dirty is much worse. Much worse. Remember that. Because this is going to harm who? Those who are in the way of Allah. Those who have left their homes to worship Allah. So let's take this very seriously. When we go to a public washroom, we become very careful. Oh, I have to leave a good image of Muslims. And we'll be so careful, we'll wipe the counter, we'll do so much takalluf in being so proper, proper. But when we're at a masjid, we forget all our manners. We forget all our basic etiquette of hygiene. We forget everything. And that is much worse. So this is something that we have to remember. Allah says, وَإِذَا حَلَلْتُمْ And when you are halal, which means that your ihram is done, you have completed your hajj, then fastadu. Then you may hunt. Earlier it was mentioned, غَيْرَ مُحِلِّ الصَّيْدَ وَأَنْتُمْ حُرُومٌ Now Allah says that when your hajj is over, when you're not in the state of ihram anymore, then fastadu. The word fastadu, what's the root? Fastadu. صَاد يَدَّلْ Why? Because it's from the word صَيْد. Okay? صَيْد, hunt, istadu, go hunt. So Allah says, وَإِذَا حَلَلْتُمْ فَاسْطَادُوا that when you have become halal, meaning your ihram is over, then you may go and hunt. You may do that. The prohibition is only while you are in ihram. وَلَا يَجْرِمَنَّكُمْ And let it not incite you. What? شَنَآنُ The enmity. Enmity of who? قَوْمٍ A people. يَجْرِمَنَّ Is from the root letters جِيمْ رَا مِيمْ So many new words. 
Isn't it? Don't worry, it's going to get easier. So, لَا يَجْرِمَنَّكُمْ From جَرْمْ جِيمْ رَامِيمْ جَرْمَ means to pick a fruit from a tree. So for example, you're walking and you see that your neighbors at the end of their driveway, there's a tree that has some berries on it. You wonder what is it? And immediately you're like, you jump towards it to at least look at it. You want to take it, but you're like, no, it's not mine, I shouldn't take it. But you at least look at it. You, immediately you are inclined towards it. You jump towards it. Even though you've seen thousands of berries in your life. I'm sure you've eaten many as well. But when you see one on a tree, then what happens? You're attracted to it. You're pulled towards it. Okay? From this is the word jurm, which means to commit a crime. How? That it's as though a person is driven to the crime. He is pulled towards it. He doesn't even think and he leaps towards it. He doesn't even give a thought and he just does it. So Allah says, لا يجرمنكم Don't let this put you in sin. What? شَنَآنُ قَوْمٍ The enmity of a people. The word شَنَآن is from Shim, Noon, Hamza. Shani is one who keeps enmity in his heart for the other. One who keeps enmity in his heart for the other. So don't let this enmity in your heart that you have for some people make you jump into sin. Make you commit sin immediately without you even thinking about it. Because isn't this what happens if you don't like someone? You hate them in your heart, then what happens? You don't even realize and you're so quick at passing judgments. You're so quick in saying words that are hurtful. Correct? You're so quick in blaming them. So don't let this hatred make you commit sin. Which people are these? And why do you have this hatred for them? أَن صَدُّوكُمْ عَنِ الْمَسْجِدِ الْحَرَامِ That they stopped you from the Masjid Al-Haram. Once upon a time, they didn't let you come to the Haram in order to perform Umrah. Fourteen hundred companions went with the Prophet ﷺ with the only intention to perform Umrah. And what happened? There were some people who didn't let them do it. Who were those people? The Mushrikeen of Makkah. They did not let the Muslims come in. And then there was back and forth until eventually the Treaty of Hudaybiyah was signed. Has it ever happened with you that you apply for Umrah, you apply for Hajj and you are refused? Or you apply for visa. You guys don't need visa. But you apply for visa. Maybe some of your relatives apply for visa and they're refused. How do you feel? Angry. Like this is not fair. Especially when people's Umrah visa is refused or Hajj visa is refused, they become so angry. They say, these Saudis, they're just sitting there making money, these shayukh, you don't know what they do. They, they have so much money and they're this and they're this and they're this. And we start talking bad about them. Unfortunately, this is so common amongst Muslims that they talk bad about people who are taking care of the haram. Anything they do, whether it's good or bad, anything they do, the Muslims... They're so quick to saying negative things about them. They're so quick at passing judgments about them. Why? Just because you had one bad experience in the past. What bad experience? You applied for visa too late, so you were refused. Obviously, you are going to be refused. They have a certain number of people whom they can allow. You can't expect that everybody who wishes to go can go. Otherwise, people won't survive there. They'll die. Literally, they'll die. Thousands of people could die. Likewise, you didn't get your shots on time. 
So there you like, oh, these people, they want you to take shots, they don't even know what's in these shots. And then you can't go for Umrah, you can't go for Hajj. It's just a way of making more money. If they're expanding the haram, they're making it possible for more people to come and worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala over there. Again, people have a problem with that. People have a problem with everything that the caretakers of the haram do. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, لَا يَجْرِمَنَّكُمْ شَنَآنُ قَوْمٍ أَن صَدُّوكُمْ عَنِ الْمَسْجِدِ الْحَرَامِ أَن تَعْتُدُوا And by the way, I mean the mushrikeen of Makkah prevented the Muslims from coming. These are Muslims and they're not preventing the Muslims from coming. They're only making it more possible for them. They're only making it more possible for them. And if these rules were not there, then the Muslims would be in more of a mess if they would go for Hajj and Umrah. So, if about someone who has prevented the Muslims from going to haram, Allah says, don't let this take you to antartadu, that you cross the limits. Then about someone who's cooperating with you to come there, how can you transgress limits against them? What are transgressing limits against them? That you are unfair with them, you say that which is untrue, you go against the agreements that you've made with them. So for example, when the Muslims, when they went for Umrah the year after, there were certain agreements that were made. So the Muslims had to observe that. Just because you hate them, doesn't mean you don't follow the agreement that was made. Because, awfu bil Fulfill all the covenants, fulfill all the promises. Likewise, people get their visa and they know they cannot go to a certain city in Saudi. But what do they do? They still go. They know that they have to leave by a certain date, but they don't leave. They break the rules, they break the commitments, they break the agreements. And what's the excuse? These Saudis don't know anything. I'm not saying this ayah is talking about the Saudis. I'm just deriving lessons from it that are practical for us, that are relevant to our lives. So anyway, وَلَا يَجْرِمَنَّكُمْ شَنَآنُ قَوْمٍ أَنْ صَدُّوكُمْ عَنِ الْمَسْجِدِ الْحَرَامِ أَنْ تَعْتَدُوا do not cross the limits. Because at Hajj, at Umrah, when a person goes, فَلَا رَفَتْ وَلَا فُسُوق وَلَا جِدَال فِي الْحَجْ There is no fighting, no sexual conduct, no sin, no fighting when a person is at Hajj. And the thing is that when you are there, many times there are opportunities to break into fights with people. From the moment you land till the moment you exit. And the biggest complaint that people have, these people don't know English. Well, duh, you don't know Arabic. Whose fault is it? Your fault or their fault? Both people's fault, right? So anyway, people at the smallest things will pick fights with them. And this is unfair. This is not correct. Just because they have some imperfection doesn't mean that you can break the rules of hajj. وَتَعَاوَنُوا عَلَى الْبِرِّ وَالتَّقْوَى How beautiful. Allah says, cooperate in righteousness and piety. Cooperate with each other. In what? In bir and taqwa. Help one another. تَعَاوَنُوا is from عَيْن وَاوْنُونَ What does عَوْن mean? What does عَوْن mean? إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدُ وَإِيَّاكَ نَسْتَعِينَ What does عَوْن mean? Help. تَعَاوُن is to help one another. It's when two people or two groups, two parties, what are they doing? They're helping one another. Meaning they are cooperating with each other. They're assisting each other. So you should assist one another. You should cooperate one another in doing what? Al-bir. What is bir? Different types of good deeds. What taqwa? What is taqwa? Leaving what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has forbidden. 
So cooperate with one another on these things. وَلَا تَعَاوَنُوا عَلَى الْإِثْمِ وَالْعُدْوَانِ And do not cooperate with each other over sin and transgression. What is ism? Ism is reduction in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's rights. And what is udwan? In people's rights. Reduction in people's rights. So don't commit a sin, neither against Allah, nor against people. And do not help each other in committing such sins. Cooperate with each other in doing good, not in doing bad. When somebody is doing bad and they ask you for help, should you help them? No, you should not. For example, if somebody wants to go for Umrah, they don't have a mahram. So they ask your brother, can you be my mahram? And we'll just make up some fake documents. We'll just write that you're my brother. Just because we happen to have the same last name, we'll pretend that we are brother and sister. And we can go for Hajj or Umrah together. Is that correct? No. This is ta'awun al ism wal udwan. So don't do that. And this is related to Hajj and also outside of Hajj. Otherwise as well. If somebody asks your help in doing something wrong, we should not help them. Example? That it is somebody's fault, they are guilty, but they ask you to please lie for them. That say that you never did it. This is what? Ta'awun fil ism. Cheating in exam. Is that okay? No. It's not okay. Or pretending that you're just reading your test paper so that everybody behind you can see it. Is that okay? No. Or writing something on the hand and then just sitting like this so that your friend who's sitting here can read off of your hand. Yeah? You know better the ways of cheating. I'm not blaming. I'm just saying that I'm sure you've heard of different ways through which people cheat. So if somebody asks you for help in an exam or let's say they ask you if they can borrow your assignment so that they can quickly copy it down. They can copy all the answers. Should you help them? And they say, come on, you're supposed to help me. This is knowledge. You can't be hiding knowledge from me. Is that help? Ta'awun ala al-ism. Allah has forbidden us from doing that. Other ways in which people cooperate with each other in wrong? The thing is that one person cannot commit wrong by himself alone. He needs other people's cooperation. For example, zina. I'm not talking about rape. I'm talking about zina. Can a man commit zina with a woman unless and until she agrees? No, he can't. So when she has cooperated, only then he can do it. Riba, interest. Can one person take interest unless and until the other agrees to give it? No, he can't. So, وَلَا تَعَاوَنُوا عَلَى الْإِثْمِ وَالْعُدْوَانِ Don't do that. Don't cooperate in sin and transgression. وَاتَّقُوا اللَّهِ And fear Allah. إِنَّ اللَّهَ شَدِيدُ الْعِقَابِ Indeed, Allah is severe in penalty. Observe all this out of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's fear. Because if you sin, and even if the entire creation is supportive of you, is helping you, is assisting you, backing you, can that save you from Allah's punishment? Never. Because sometimes we think that, look, I'm being helped, I'm being assisted. Everybody's supporting me. For example, a woman says, you know, I'm taking my hijab off and my parents are so supportive. My friends, they're so accepting. So this is something that I should be doing. No, even if the entire world is backing you up to commit a sin, you should still not do it. Allah, Because inna Allah shadeed al-iqab. He is severe in penalty. Let's listen to the recitation. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم يا 
So we have been told to cooperate in good things, not in bad things. What are some ways of cooperating with others in good things? Examples? Bringing people to, let's say, the masjid, to a class, giving them a ride. That's ta'awun fil bir. So for example, cleaning up after the class, after people have left the masjid, after taraweeh prayers. If they've asked for volunteers, then cooperating. Instead of counting the minutes and the hours. What else? For example, helping in the household work. You see that somebody is doing something good. They are preparing food so that everybody can break their fast with, so that they can send food to somebody else. So you also cooperate with them in that. And remember that when something is good, bir, because bir is very vast, it's good, something that's beneficial for people. It could be something that is directly related to the deen and also indirectly. So for example, even if there are non-Muslims doing something to benefit people, to benefit a certain group of people, to remove their poverty, to remove their ignorance, to improve their condition, then should we cooperate with them in that respect? Yes, we should. But what's the excuse that we generally make? They're non-Muslim. But we see that the Prophet ﷺ did ta'awun with non-Muslims even when it came to bir. For example, when the Prophet ﷺ migrated from Makkah to Medina, there was a drought that hit Makkah. And the people were in a very terrible condition. So the Prophet ﷺ, he was requested and he sent some rations for them. He sent some food supplies for them. Likewise, in pre-Nubuwa stage, before the Prophet ﷺ received prophethood, there was a pact that certain tribes had made which was known as Hilf al-Fudul. 
And this was basically for the well-being of the people who came to Mecca as visitors, as pilgrims. So the Prophet ﷺ participated in that. And he said later on that I was present when a covenant was agreed upon in the house of Abdullah bin Jad'an and I would not accept even a red camel in exchange of it. Had I been asked to uphold it, even in the days of Islam, I would have agreed to do so. So if there is any good work in which people are being educated, in which people are being made aware, their health, their finances, let's say, anything that's good, that's beneficial, should we cooperate in that? Yes, we should. تَعَاوَنُوا عَلَى الْبِرِّ وَالتَّقْوَى وَلَا تَعَاوَنُوا عَلَى الْإِثْمِ وَالْعُدْوَانِ But our ways have become the exact opposite. If there is a flyer for a class, then masajid don't accept it. They say that no, we will only put flyers from our masjid. We will only advertise our programs, not others. But if we do that, isn't this ta'awun fil birri wa taqwa? It is. We have stopped cooperating with each other in good things and we have started cooperating with each other in bad things. The exact opposite. In a hadith we learn, He who calls to guidance will earn a reward similar to the rewards of those who accept his call until the day of resurrection without decreasing their rewards. And whoever calls to something wrong will carry a burden similar to the burdens of those who accept his call until the day of resurrection without decreasing their own burdens. So when you help someone do something good, whether it is teaching them how to pray, whether it is giving them a hijab so that they can pray properly, whether it is letting them do wudu so that they can go and pray in the masjid, any way in which you help someone do good, then when they do good, you get the reward for that as well. So this is a way of accumulating more rewards. This is why ta'awanu. And when it comes to ism and udwan, not cooperating with each other. But like we see for example, if children are doing something wrong, it's because their parents are cooperating with them. Or if the parents are doing something wrong, many times it's the children who are forcing them to. For example, if there are certain clothes that you feel should not be worn, then who's taking the children to the mall and buying those clothes? Who's giving the money to the kids so that they can go to the movies? Who's doing that? This is ta'awun fil ism. And if you're asking your parents, that mom give me money, I want to go here, I want to go there. And if she doesn't give you, you say, oh mom, you're so, you don't trust me and you don't believe in me and you're so suffocating and you're so this and you're so that. Then you are encouraging her to commit sin as well. A sister, she's uh, while doing travel, she have short sleep like that. And when uh, but, um, when uh, the Torah is finished, I just told him to, it's not allowed to do this one. She said, oh really? I thought it's short like that much. I didn't know. And after that, she's covering all the time and she's so careful. She she's just want to, to not showing. She said, I would, it's just short like that one, not that much. But if, I mean, if something's to do good, don't be afraid. Just do it in good manner, in good way. And inshallah, if she's following from now on, you will get reward for it. Yes. And you will, she will tell next person to her family, they said, oh, I heard this person is saying that, and which is, they will keep following. Yes. The first step is hard to say it. Yes. But when you say it, inshallah, Very it true. Because when you're saying it, you have this fear. What if they don't like what I tell them? What if they get upset? What if they mind? What if they yell at me? What if they humiliate me in public? What if they don't listen? It looks so bad. But you have to get over that. You have to do it. And you never know 
they might listen, they might accept. And if they do, then imagine the reward that you're going to get. Because they'll be able to follow the haqq, and then they will tell other people about it. And like this, knowledge will spread, khair will spread. So this is why it's so necessary to cooperate in good things. And this teaches us another thing, that if somebody is telling us something good, then we should also cooperate.